This is Ramdas here and now, and I'm Raghu Marcus, your host, as it has been for ooh, quite a few years now, these uh, here and now podcasts that we've been doing, showcasing Ramdas's excerpts from Ramdas's talks over the years, and in some cases, uh, me being able to sit with Ramdas. Him being in Maui and me being uh, stateside and just having a chat about various things. Those were the most fun for me. And uh, and yes, this is one week after, I'm recording this one week after Ramdas is passing on December 22nd, 2019. Um, and of course, doing these podcasts as many of you know, for so long, and having known Ramdas as long as I have, uh, it's uh, it's been quite a journey in this last week, and um, I'm just so thankful for all of the opportunity that I have had over my lifetime, a good part of my lifetime, uh, to spend time with Ramdas. I mean, it'd be impossible for me to describe in words the many facets of uh, of what that meant to me. But uh, as uh, I have said before, I don't know what I would be in this life without having been connected to that enormous heart of Ramdas and the love and the trust that really informed the rest of my life. And uh, and I know many of you have been, you know, seeing social media or reading releases from Love Server Member Foundation, Ramdas.org, and uh, you know, have some idea. Uh, but just to let you know, Ramdas came to this last retreat that we did, Open Your Heart in Paradise, the retreats that we run every December in Maui and have done for 15 years, or maybe 14. Uh, and Ramdas was very challenged health-wise, very much challenged. And he, but he came to the retreat and he came to some of the various uh, sessions that we had, and he just, uh, and then he came, so as many of you know, or some of you don't, but we do have uh, the last day of the retreat, we have what's called a mala ceremony. So everybody lines up and they get a mala with uh, Maharaji's uh, blanket thread attached to it, So uh, and then they, um, they pranam, they bow, honoring the light in Maharaji and the light that's inside all of us, that same light. And, of course, Ramdas blesses everybody. Now, in past years, he used to just, like, give a mala to everybody. Now, you know, we had over 400 people this past time. And, and I... I, before the thing went on, some of us got with Ramdas and said, "So you're going to agree? You do not have the energy to give, actually hand everybody a mala because Ramdas goes way further than that, 
in terms of engaging and giving everything that's inside him, uh, radiating this incredible love. And he said, okay. We said, okay, well, if you just, you'll be on the stage and you'll, you know, as everyone goes by, you'll, you'll literally bless them, but they won't be engaging with you and hugging you and all that. So he agreed. So we get to the mala ceremony and I, I said, okay, now uh, will you bless the malas, Ramdas, so that they can be handed out to everybody? He says, no, I'm handing them out to each person. I go, in a voice like some authoritarian, like, I mean, I've been doing this with Ramdas a long time as his quote unquote producer. No, you have agreed, Ramdas, to just bless from afar. You're not giving it out. We agreed that you don't have the energy to do that. And that's the kind of tone that I took. Ramdas looked at me and he pursed his lips like a child going, well, you're not going to let me do that? I swear, it was the most uh, sincere expression of childlike disappointment. <laughs> it was incredible. And that's who he is. He just, down to the last breath, he was going to give it away. And that's what he did uh, when he first returned to America and uh, from India in 1968 after meeting Maharaji and saying, I brought back a jewel. I said to him, what, what, you know, Maharaji told you, don't tell anybody about me or where I am, nothing. When Ramdas came back, that's the only thing he talked about was Maharaji and his experience there. I said, why did you do that? He told you not to do it. He said, you know, I just... I had this jewel, and I, I just had no choice, right? That's a big thing, that no choice, isn't it? Oh. Yeah, he gave us family, satsang, an idea of what in the world service really is to another human being, and more lately, the power of loving awareness, residing in the spiritual heart for from that place can we really radiate to people undefended um, heart, unconditional love, only from that place. No judgment, no nothing. I mean, it's a, just so uh, profound, his teachings on loving awareness. And... In the, as we go through uh, into the future here, we'll be featuring all these kinds of things through Ramdas.org and Be Here Now Network and everything that we're doing. Um, and just one more comment from me, not to get too verbose here. Obviously, this is a huge event. I mean, it's like a, a, an enormous wind has blown through and... Um, it's it's you know, there's so much love, so much grief, so much um, caring by people. I can't tell you how many people. I mean, well, I mean, you all know because you're part of it. Just the kind of caring for Ramdas, but for each other. And then there's that one thing to me that saves me more than anything else, and that's Ramdas's honesty with himself and sharing that honesty about his own foibles 
in a way that allowed us to know that it's okay for us. Okay, we have these dark thoughts, we have these shitty motivations, and that we realize them maybe after the fact. But it's okay. It's, it's, uh, and Ramdas talked about it in the movie Becoming Nobody. He just said, as um, his friend Emmanuel said to him, Ramdas, why don't you just try being human, right? He gave us that. We can all just try being human. It's okay. And we pick ourselves up and we try a little harder to be kinder and more compassionate and more loving. So this sharing from Ramdas is obviously going to, going to continue in a way that I don't even think that those of us who have known him all these years could really comprehend. And that's because it's all being written, as far as I'm concerned, I know that Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji, he's doing very good arrangements, very good. And Ramdas, um, I know, is right in that, under that blanket. But we will have to reflect him, all of us, going forward. Um. So here's a talk, and uh, this is fairly random, by the way. It's a talk from 1981, and there's a, a few things in it. I mean, obviously, there's stuff in here about uh, dying and death and what that means. Um, and again, this is it, it was sort of random. You know, I get these things from our great uh, uh, library uh, curator, Nathan Wilburn. Um, so here, a couple of things he talks about. So he said, we die so hard each time, meaning, and we're not talking, he's not talking about physical death. We die. It's that surrender, right? We're all having this, you know, the, the example of this grief with Ramdas leaving and we are feeling that. And as he used to say, you can operate on more than one plane at a time. And we, as humans, can do so. We can have the grief and we can also have the knowledge of the transcendency that happens when a soul goes through this transition. And we are just allowing it to be. And that allowing it to be that is a surrender. That's we die so hard each time because we're clinging to, to as he says, to survival of a separate entity because we think we're that ego. But we get on the path, the spiritual path, and we realize that's happening. We want that ego to die, but not just yet. Okay? Not just yet. And that's human, and that's okay too. And he talks about... Um, you were never so much yourself as when you have surrendered into the totality of what reality is. Right? You were never so much yourself. We used to think that you're your separate self. And that, of course, many of us have experienced that on psychedelics and many of us through meditation or through chanting or whatever. 
That's that surrender becomes a byword for for life and for transitioning through the bardos. What else does he say here that I thought was poign- poignant given what we we're going through? Um, he talks about a lot about being vulnerable and making, again, making friends. He says, well, I had to make friends with Richard Alpert. And he started doing that. He started going back to being vulnerable, not to be in the bubble of Baba Ramdas. And we all have the same kind of thing. We have an identity that uh, we stick to, whoever that may be, whatever the role may be. And allowing some vulnerable vulnerability, which allows for humility, which allows for transparency and honesty, is a huge thing. So it's, again, it's okay to be human. Um, now there's one other thing that I really wanted to share um, that he talks about. And this is difficult. When he talks about looking at the law in action, you know, so in the one, everything is encompassed. Everything. The light, the dark, all of it. And if you look at the law in action, can we call that nature, that part of us that's in form, that's determined by our past karmas, by how we grew up in this life, who we think we are is determined by the nature of all of these phenomena. At the same time, realizing that the part of you that is not in time and space, that is, that's loving awareness little spot that Ramdas talks about is perfectly free. Now, of course, I know Ramdas absolutely lived that 100%. 100%. And the last moment that I saw him before I left after a few days after this last retreat, which is only three weeks ago, yeah, he just opened up to in in a and an expression of of love that uh, you know you read these spiritual books about walking in a room and it was filled with light because of the presence of this being. Well, it was in that moment. Um, so I knew that Ramdas was free. I knew that. This is Ramdas Here and Now on BeHereNowNetwork.com. And uh, love to everybody out there and uh, everyone who's been sending us these just gorgeous, heart-filled messages of support. And people on the street uh, here I'm in Ojai uh, just today, you know, stopping me. Uh, it's uh, it's so well appreciated, and uh, it just is more su- uh, support for the for for me. What has been the greatest expression of whatever we have done with Ramdas over these last fifteen years in Maui, and that satsang community sangha, and the power of that, and the way that we support each other and learn from each other, and our being able to to become more open with each other, uh, it's life-changing. 
and I, uh, I just want to say thank you. Thanks to all of us. Ram Ram. You know, uh, when you're waiting backstage, when I'm waiting backstage, I get nervous. I mean, if I were a pro like uh, Kathy or Howard or Bob, well, I get nervous, and then I go through this dialogue saying, who's getting nervous? Whoever's getting nervous is identified with being the actor and is attached to the fruits of the act. It's interesting how um, we buy other people's minds. Like here in Boulder and Denver, I don't know which is a suburb of the other. Um, I'm sort of uh, Barbara Ramdas, who wrote Be Here Now in the 70s. And I kind of uh, disappeared into the void after that. I'm kind of a historical artifact. I'm a, kind of an anachronism. I'm that old druggie from the 60s. I'm sort of a survivor, I guess you'd call it. And because a lot of people were touched by Be Here Now, as was I, they look at me with a great deal of um, a love and appreciation. Not exactly how they look at everybody else, unfortunately. And being put into that projective system, it's hard not to buy into it. But if I buy into it, then I become something other than what I feel myself to be. And then it's somebody I ought to be. Tim Leary used to say, um, we die so hard each time. He may still be saying it, but this is what he said back in the 60s. And I can experience that. That each time that person that is anxious or that is trying to get love or prove something dies into what is. There is a shudder as it goes through the sound barrier. And you cling to the survival of the separate entity. And yet you know you want to die because you have to die to live. You see how that all so obviously. And it's more like you want to want to die, but you don't quite want to do it just yet. I'm not talking for you, I'm talking for me, I'm just using you. And each time you die, you say, oh, phew, wow, I'm home. Why did I ever leave this place? Because from the other side of that curtain, you realize that you are never so much yourself, your separate self, as when you have surrendered into the totality. That would seem a paradox for me. That's only because we try to think about it with our minds. I've been learning a lot about the closing of the circle. It seemed like I was spending so much time for so many years getting high, getting away from here, wherever here was, transcending, 
It was what is known as, it's called the attachment to emptiness. It has in it bliss and rapture and equanimity. In fact, it has everything in it. But we only get attached to certain aspects of it. Let's turn on, let's go to the movies, what's on television, let's go for a ride, make love, let's meditate. Let us change our consciousness together. What do you say? Why, what's wrong with the one you've got? Where do you think you're going to? You think there's a here and a there? As long as you think there's a here and a there, it's worth getting high. Because you'll be there. What you will say is here, but it's only here to there. I have this friend, his name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel doesn't have a body like you and me, but I'm not prejudiced. He speaks through, a, he has a friend named Pat Rotergeist in New York, and uh, I first heard Emmanuel on WBAI, public radio. And very rarely do you hear disembodied beings on radio. I mean, they all seem disembodied, but uh, that's only a technical problem. You assume when you go to the studio, somebody's there. That's just a projection of your mind. But Bob Skotelsky doesn't really exist in the studio, that's all. Old karma running off. Well, actually, Pat was talking to Emmanuel and telling us what he said. Pat and Emmanuel apparently old friends from way back. Where? Somewhere. Emmanuel's very light. He's got a great sense of humor. He says things like, uh, I said, Emmanuel, what shall I tell people about death? He said, tell them it's absolutely safe. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you like a friend like that to hang out with? Would you care if he was in a body or what color it was or what religion or nationality? I mean, I'm not prejudiced against people without bodies. Other people say it's a spook. I don't believe in that. <laughs> Emmanuel, you're a spook. <laughs> right. He said death is like taking off a tight shoe. So what Emmanuel said to me was, uh, Ramdas, you know, you were born into a school. Why don't you take the curriculum? Why don't you accept your humanity? Why are you so busy becoming holy? He said, if you want to become liberated, you're going to have to embrace original sin. So I've been making friends for the past year with Richard Alpert, who got kind of pushed under the rug somewhere back in the late 60s. In fact, I spent a whole winter being Richard Alpert just with my passport in Italy and places like that. Ramdas just wasn't there. With passions and lusts and fears and self-pity and arrogance and joy and lightness and and love and a yearning for God. 
It was like going back to being vulnerable again. And it's part of that reason why I can't push that nervousness under the rug when I'm standing back there, because that nervousness is part of my humanity. The only question is whether I'll get lost into the nervousness or whether I'll just, ah, there's nervousness. Wow, heavy duty. <laughs> See, Ramdas isn't supposed to be nervous. Nervous is ego. Egos get nervous. Servant of God doesn't get nervous. I mean, you got all the power with you. Running with a force. There are a couple of reasons I could be here on earth. One is out of compassion, I just dropped by to help you. <laughs> and the other is that I had a few residual clingings of mind that I had to clean up. So I was enrolled. Ah, uh, no, let me rephrase that. So I enrolled myself. Just like you did. And here we are, meeting in our incarnations. You comfortable in yours? How does it feel? Does it fit? Is it a little tight in the shoulders? Has it been interesting? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, look at all the wonderful characters on the stage. I'm enjoying the show, aren't you? No, it's scary. Oh, who's scared? I'm scared. Right, and here we are scared. You here? Yeah, I'm here. Wow. Pretty scary, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> See, I work with dying people all the time. It's hard to figure out what's happening. It's just like energy transformation. Now you see me, now you don't. No, you don't understand. I'm dying. Oh, gee, that's good. Day. I'll come back later when you have some time to talk. If you're busy dying, I'll come back. That's the kind of dying business I'm in. See, it's really scary if you're afraid of change. Because I hate to tell you, but everything changes. Everything changes. What is doesn't change, but everything changes. Including you and me and the world condition. Death is a change. Chaos from cosmos is a change. Anytime you try to stand anywhere, you will be afraid of change. It's that simple. If you think you're a human, you must be afraid of extinction. If you think you're a member of the planet, you must be afraid of what's happening to the planet. If you think you're a woman or a man, you must be afraid of, I don't know, menopausal mentalities or something. 
The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences, says the third Chinese patriarch, who stand nowhere. Like an interesting question I was, um, that passed through my mind a few minutes ago was whether or not you think that God had the Pope shot. I mean, what could have been passing through God's mind? What could she have been thinking? <laughs> Martin Luther King, the Kennedy boy, John Lennon. I mean, he's knocking off the good guys as fast as he's knocking off the bad guys. Isn't she? See, we like to think of forces of violence and the forces that move us towards chaos as somehow other than God or evil. And in truth, there are dark forces and light forces, but where they exist is only relatively true. A wonderful line, I think, in G. Manley Hall's writings, the book of tokens or the book of numbers, I think it says, he who knows not that the prince of darkness is but the other face of the king of light knows not me, says God. Behind the two is the one. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Where will you rest? Will you rest in the two or will you rest in the one? Will you complete the circle and move from the two into the one and then dance in the two? Will you enjoy the dance, the game, the play of the two? Of the forces of dark and light, of yin and yang, of good and evil, of heavy and light, of life and death. Can you enjoy it all? Can you do as Don Juan says, and huff and puff and make believe it matters even though you know that it does not? Can you be an impeccable warrior? That's the one that dances in the two. See, as long as you are identified within the two, as long as you think you are who you thought you were, as long as you think you are somebody that your parents think you are and told you you were, probably. You identify with your desires and you say, I want that. I'd like to have a relationship with you, but I want that. You don't want to give that, so. And you identify with your wants and you say, gee, they're really real. It's what I want. I mean, I want it to be quiet in the mornings. Then something happens and you flip into the one where it just all is. 
including your wants and getting what you want and not getting what you want and winning and losing and fame and shame and life and death and pleasure and pain. And you say, yeah, right, it all is. Now you come back into the two again, but you are a one in drag now. Okay. So you say, I want quiet. Somebody says, screw you. And you say, also. And everybody says, gee, he's weak. So passive. He just doesn't even want anything. I mean, he's like a chameleon. He's just like, yeah. It's hard to tell an enlightened being from a psychopath. They sort of look the same. They're so agreeable. They're more you than you are. They will be just who you project them to be. Oh, Rhonda's. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Dick. Hi. <laughs> so I go through that period where I say, look, I don't have to have what I want. Getting what I want, not getting what I want. It's all grist for the mill. I'll just use it all. It's like the song of the masochist. To the outside world, it looks like masochism. Why are you staying in that situation when it hurts so bad? It's as interesting as any other one. <laughs> See, that's when people don't get divorced so fast. Because where are they going to go? I want it to be nice. Great. Now is it nice? Yeah, it's nice. Oh, wow. Okay, that's okay. That's called nice. Now what? As long as there's nice and not nice, you're still stuck. I'd like to study with you, but not if you live in New York City. I can't stand cities. The one in the dance of two, looking at another person, looking at another person, looking at another person. It's us looking at ourselves, us looking at us looking in the mirror. We are meeting ourselves. See, there are certain things that happen when you're the one playing the two that don't happen when you're the two that hasn't yet identified with the one. There are certain things that the one playing the dance of the two can't really do so easily. And those are things which increase the suffering of sentient beings. You just can't do them any. Not that you oughtn't to do them, but you don't do them. Not even that you can't do them. You could do them, but you don't do them. Because if I have entered into a space of consciousness where I see that you are myself, what am I, how am I going to live later as if you weren't? Are you us or are you them? Who are you? You're us to you. Am I him or am I us? How about... Um, Secretary General Haig. See, us or them? That's your problem. How about the Pope? Is he us or them? How about the guy that shot the Pope? Is he us or them? How about the Shah of Iran's ghost? Is he us or them? How about Khomeini? Is he us or them? How about 
How about? How about it? Who are we? We're a pretty complex organism, aren't we? I've been staying in Boulder with uh, Danny and Tara. And Tara gave me a tape the other night of uh, Rusty Schweikert, who went around the world out there, uh, describing his experience. And there was music playing behind it, and his description was very poetic and very soft. And he said, you know, it changed me. He said, I'd wake up and I'd start to have breakfast, and I'd be having breakfast over Africa. <laughs> See, and by the time I finished my orange juice, we were over India. We were in the Middle East. And he said, I saw all of recorded history for all those thousands of years. Limited right there. And then I'd put down the orange juice and I'd start on the next course and there would be India. Then the Pacific was vast. So. Then there I would be and there would be the Houston Astrodome and I'd be home. Then I'd be on to the East Coast, out over the Atlantic. And he said, I did that every hour and 45 minutes. On and on and on. He said, after a while, something started to change. He kept saying, there's the Astrodome, I'm home. Every hour and 45 minutes. And he had one other image that was just extraordinary. He said he, when he went outside the ship, and there was a moment when the camera malfunctioned and he had a moment to think. NASA doesn't design things to leave you space to think or to be. You're busy doing a G2 correction. And he said, there he was going, what was he going, 2,500, 25,000 miles an hour? And it's totally silent. And there's no sense of movement. Who is he at that moment? Does he belong to the Earth? And he said, at that moment, I felt I was the experiencing like antenna for all the beings on Earth to recognize another reality. There's all those boundaries on the map of that's France's green and Germany's brown. You know, you don't see it really very easily. And in fact, now that I just travel around the world all the time, I do it on Earth. I keep meeting beings everywhere. I look into their eyes, here we are again. Like David Spengler was describing uh, a conversation with a spirit being, and he said um, that he said there's quite a difference between the Russian soul and the USSR. And that's a very un comfortable marriage that's going on between the USSR values and the Russian people. It's something that's being imposed on a quality of being that's different. It's a different, different incarnational quality to it. Every role, every label you have is just another, another somebodyness. In the one, all is, form and formless. 
all form is within law. You can look out as Rusty Schweiker did of Earth and see the law in action. You can look at your own life and see the law in action. That part of you which is the creation within the law, that part of you that is informed, is determined. It's perfectly lawful. It depends on the law of dependent origination, and it goes on and on as the karma unfolds. That part of you, which is not in form, not in time and space, is perfectly free. So when I say to you, you and I have free will and thus responsibility, who am I speaking to in you? Am I speaking to that part of you that thinks you are who you think you are? That part has no free will. That part is just an unfolding storyline. It's old karma running off. Or am I speaking to that part of you which is not only free but created the predicament that that part of you that is not free thinks it's in? Am I speaking to the creator or the created? Am I speaking to the victim or the author? Our consciousness, our awakening, is the realization that all is. You don't push away that to have this. You don't push away the created to be the creator. You don't deny being the creator to wallow in the created. You experience yourself as your own creation. And as such, you are perfectly free to change it. Somebody asked a great saint how that person could know God, and the person said, if you want to know God bad enough, go to the river and tie a rock around your foot and jump in. One mother came to Maharaji, that's my guru. I'm sure he's something else, but to me, he's my guru. And said, Maharaji, uh, that, yeah. Maharaji, you always talk about worldly things. How many children, how much education, which job, how much money? Why don't you teach us about Brahm, the formless? Maharaji said, okay, I'll teach you. The mother went off to do her work at the temple. And when it was time for the last bus to Nanital, back up the mountains to the town, she was making her pranams, her bowing, and going to the bus. Maharaji asked her, now you are going? She said, yes, I have to attend to my family, prepare meals and all. Maharaji says, listen, don't go just now. I'll teach you about Brahm. You sit here. She insisted she had to go home and look after her family. He said, no, no, I'll teach you about Brahm. You sit here. Don't go home today. How is it possible? I must go. First you wanted Brahm, and now you ask, how is it possible? After she left, he said to me, look at her. First she was talking about Brahm, and now she's thinking about home. One person cannot do two things at one time. Brahm is not a thing, a toy that you can play with. You have to sacrifice something. That's the dying part. Because it probably, if she had come and said, I want to find out about Brahm, and she said, I'm not leaving till you teach me, he would say, go home and take care of your family. 
that's the essence of good teaching. Jack Kornfield, who wrote a very nice book about uh, Theravadan Buddhist masters, describes being with one master and he didn't, the master kept giving confusing and different instructions to different people. Finally, Jack, in his rational Western way, couldn't stand it. I mean, you don't want an inconsistent guru. So he went to him and he said, look, you're telling him one thing and him another thing. Teaches that there's really nothing to it. He says, if you walk, you see somebody walking down the road and they start to fall into the gutter on the left, you say, hey, go right. They start to fall in the gutter on the right, you say, hey, go left. I mean, I used to spend years and hours a day for years telling people how to go from two to one. And then it seemed to me I was spending years helping people get grounded, meaning come back from one to two. See, that's like um, sunflower, it's your turn to do the dishes, and sunflower says we're all one. <laughs> that's true, but it's still your turn to do the dishes, sunflower. What I've been learning is how to do the dishes, how to be in the world, but not of the world, how to do the dishes and yet be with God, how to do the dishes as play, how to be bored. Boy, am I bored. How to be frightened, how to be vulnerable, how to be all of it, and how to be here. How to allow my existence. How to allow the universe for a moment to be just as it is. Without your infernal mind saying, if it was only this way, I could relax. I agree there is a lot of heavy stuff going down. I would like it if good people didn't get murdered. And I would like it if there were no nuclear energy. And I would like it if... Everybody had, we realized that everybody had a right to be fed before we started to bicker over who had how much. I would like a lot of things to be different. I'd like more ecological consciousness. I'd like more compassion. And I will work for it because that's what I do, because that's the way once you see the one that you and I are one, how am I going to, how am I going to enjoy myself at your expense? How am I going to get away with it? This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.